session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. wanted to announce the book of the week again. It is How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. And this book uh, was recommended to me by my brother Parham, but I'd heard also about it. And it seems like a really interesting one. I've only just started it, but uh, it's looking at how psychedelics, these types of drugs like LSD, or sometimes what's called magic mushrooms, might have healing powers for things like depression, addiction, PTSD, and that there is kind of a renaissance where people are starting to study them again to see what benefits they can have. So I'll read that book and share it with you. Uh, as I noted on Monday, I won't be doing live shows next week. So I'll talk about this book on October 1st, which is not next Monday, the Monday after that. And then uh, the book of the week for next week, since I won't be on the air, is a book I can't say the full title because it has a profanity in it, but it's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Blank. Blank starts with an F uh, by Mark Manson. So I'll talk about that on Wednesday's show, October 3rd. All right, wanted to start off today talking about social media, which is so much a part of our lives. Even when I start my show, I mention my Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and most people actually start their days going on to social media. So it's a very real and big part of most people's lives. And like a lot of things, it's very easy to just say, well, is it good or bad? And people want to get an answer. And very often people like to say, oh, it's so bad. Social media is so bad. But they themselves are using it maybe a few hours a day. And the truth is it's not all bad and it's not all good. It depends on how we use it in our lives. And that's for each person to think about for him or herself. How do I use social media in my life? Why do I use it? How much am I using it? And what effect is that having on me, myself, and my relationships? So we have to look at a few things when we're talking about social media. One is how much time you're spending on social media. Again, it's not all good or all bad, but we can find that you can get sucked into spending lots of time there. These apps or websites, whatever you want to call them, are made in a way to make you stay on as long as possible because that's essentially how they can stay profitable or make money long term is by keeping you there. So you can get sucked into being on for a long time. And so I know I've been there myself, but a lot of people, they'll say, I went on there just to check something for five minutes, but then I was just exploring things for one hour, two hours, 
and realized that I'd lost a lot of my day because I was sitting there focused on social media, really not doing anything in particular, but wasting time. And even why we waste time, I'll talk about a little bit later. So first you want to look at how much time you're spending. You can even keep a log and you might be surprised or you might even be embarrassed by how much you're on social media or how many times you check. We've all been there before where you go back to Instagram for the 50th time and see that nothing has changed on your page, but you still go to check just to see. And it's more, we use it as distraction as anything else. But what we also want to be aware of is why do we post what we post? And to me, this is very important because it always, as everything, comes back to your intention. Is your intention, I really want to share with people that I care about, people in my life, something that's happening to me or about my day or about whatever else is going on? That might be one intention. Another intention could be, am I trying to get attention from people, some of whom I know, some of whom I don't know, to feel better about myself? And very often that's what the intention really is. And something I like to say is that likes and follows are the new drug of the digital age. Meaning that we use them to help us feel better momentarily. But like a drug, we just feel good very briefly, but that good feeling goes away and we need to do it again or get something to make us feel good again. There's lots of people who, when they don't feel very good, they post a picture or a video that they think might get a lot of attention and then they wait to see the likes and the comments to see what people are saying, how many likes they can get just to feel good about themselves. But it's only going to last for a short period of time, just like a drug. Because what are we trying to fill? We're trying to fill some feeling inside that is missing, a feeling of self-esteem or self-worth, how good we feel about ourselves. And that's what we need to focus on and realize what's missing. And this is why it's good to look at our actions and look at the intentions behind those actions because we learn why I'm doing something that I'm doing. Don't just post the picture and think, well, I just wanted to post this picture. Think, why am I posting this particular picture? Why now? Why am I putting this even caption on it? What am I trying to do or say with this action? Because if you realize it's coming from a place of low self-esteem and trying to get some outside validation, it can make you become aware that there is a bigger problem and I need to focus on that rather than trying to make this picture perfect or trying to make this caption the best caption to get the best attention. So we want to think of why we're posting what we're posting. Or when you post about your relationship, people post pictures with their significant other or they post pictures of a gift their significant other has given them. And sometimes it could be just because we want to share something with people in our lives, but a lot of times it's also because we want to put a certain image about how our relationship is going. Look how happy me and my husband or wife or my boyfriend or girlfriend are. This is us in front of this place, or here's us out on a romantic date night, or here's the flowers he got me or the gift she sent me. And it's less about genuinely sharing because we want to share with people that we care about and more about putting out a certain image of our relationship. And people care so much about what their relationship looks like to other people more than what they are experiencing in their relationship themselves. And this brings me to one of my biggest 
concerns when we look at social media and the impact it's having on us. Again, not all good, not all bad. But what we do see is that it can bring an emphasis on the superficial, on, of course, the aesthetics. How does something look? Looking good, whether that means looking good physically and your physical attractiveness or your life looking good. Look at the things I do, the places I go, the restaurants I go to, the car I have, the clothes I have, the bags I have, whatever it might be on the superficial of how you look. And of course, not just showing what you actually look like, but people use filters and Photoshop and all sorts of things to make them look different than they actually look once they uh, put the picture or video up online. But also how I look as a person and how my, again, things like my relationship look. And the problem is that in something like social media, it tends to emphasize the superficial. Even you'll see people post pictures or videos and say things like relationship goals, which basically means I hope to have a relationship that looks like this someday or is like this. But it's something very superficial, a nice picture where two people look very nice or in front of a nice landmark or whatever it might be, or a very short video, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, where they're being cute together or saying something cute to one another. And people think this is what I'm supposed to try to attain. This is the goal. But these things are very superficial and not very deep and don't mean a whole lot because a good relationship is not something that just gets captured in 15 seconds of a video or one picture. But if we focus on those things, we start to think that that's what we're supposed to strive towards is to find a relationship that looks good on social media, a relationship that looks good in a short video, whereas a relationship is made up of thousands and thousands of seconds and minutes and hours that you spend together in relationship and in connection that don't get captured in a moment's picture or a short video. But our focus, because of social media, becomes on those things. And people even start to lose sight of living their own lives and get focused on how their lives look to other people. They want a relationship that looks good online and in social media rather than experiencing it because we can get so preoccupied with our social image, our persona, how people are going to see us, that we lose sight of the more important things in living a good life. So people would rather look good to other people than live good themselves and feel good. And that's a big problem. Or even in being a good person, people want to look like a good person in a way that they can show on social media, which is in pictures or short videos. But being a good person is something much more deep. So we get focused on looking like we have a good personality rather than building a strong, good character. Things like integrity are hard to show in a social media post, in a picture. Things like true honesty when things are difficult is something that's hard to show on social media. But looking nice and looking like you're a charitable person, people do that a lot. They go and they set up photo ops for themselves. Look at me helping these kinds of people or let me show you do me doing this or being this kind of a person but it's not about actually building a good character it's about the superficial so we have to be careful not to get sucked into this world of superficiality that social media can promote and focus on the important things in our lives being a good person doing good things 
building healthy, strong relationships that don't necessarily just look good online, but feel good in our experience. And again, it comes back to this idea of feeling good about ourselves from within. Because if I feel good about me, I don't need people outside to tell me my life is good or to tell me I'm a good person or to tell me that my life is something they wish they had. My life is something I have to enjoy and experience. But if I don't have that self-esteem and that self-worth that comes from within, I'm always going to try to seek it from the outside. And we know that that is a, a hole or a void that won't get filled by anything from the outside. So you can seek it out over and over again. But again, like a drug, you'll feel good and it's going to go away. But we don't want to get focused on that side of things. So be aware of what you post, why you're posting, how much you're online. And as I mentioned, one of the biggest reasons people go to things like social media is not to actually experience something, but to distract themselves. And what are we distracting ourselves from? From our own reality, from our own feelings, from our own thoughts and what's going on for us. It's easier to go online and just look at some things, look at pictures and videos, than to actually think about our own lives or to actually feel our own feelings. And that's why I say we have to be aware, is your phone and is social media something that helps you connect to other people and to yourselves? Or is it something that's leading to disconnection? Am I going on my phone because I don't want to feel my own feelings? Or is it actually to connect to someone I care about and to have a meaningful conversation or relationship? These are the things we want to be aware of in how we use technology in our lives and especially how we use social media. Am I trying to get the high that comes from getting the likes or am I actually trying to connect with other people or share something about my life that is meaningful? So social media isn't all good, isn't all bad, but it's up to each and every one of us to see the way it's affecting us in our life and how we're using it for good or bad and allowing us to connect to others and to help create a better lives better life for ourselves. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes. Hi, thanks for calling. I appreciate you answering. Uh, Dr. Olakwe, um, my question is, uh, can our, uh, I should say, history, or I should say, um, teenage years, uh, the behavior that we have in teenage years, of course, we are growing up, we are experimenting with things, bad behavior, uh, we are affected by um, our um, colleagues, our peers. Uh, um, and um, I'm thinking when someone does something very uh, wrong and at those years, formative years, and then... Uh, it is used against them later on when they are uh, 
basically uh, trying to get uh, uh, a high position. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that is fair to to go back that far and ignore everything else? I'm not for this person, mm-hmm. not at all. I am just uh, going to the psychology of uh, this uh, this matter that is right now in question. Yes, and so um, and you mentioned it when we were before the break. Uh, we talked. Is this, a, this is about uh, Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court nominee. Yes. Okay. Yes. And yes. I don't. I, you know, to be honest, I've heard and read a bit about it, but I don't know all the details, but I know um, for those listening, I'll share just a bit. So Brett Kavanaugh is the uh, latest nominee to be on the Supreme Court of the United States. And recently, an allegation came out that when he was, I believe, in high school, something like 17 years old, um, 18 years old, 18 years old, 17 okay. or 18. Yeah, 17, yeah. He, um, a, someone has come forward saying that he, she was sexually assaulted by him. And so, Correct. so I guess your question is: Should that affect um, his possibilities of being on the court, or how we look at him now? Is that essentially the question? A lot of things. One yeah. is the end result of it. Second of all, um, is it fair to judge someone for something he or she did in that early um, stage of adulthood? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the factors that can go into um, basically affecting him psychologically, do something very stupid, socially stupid, uh, and uh, um, in in his case, uh, uh, trying to uh, basically quiet a girl uh, so that he can take advantage of her physically. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, according to what I hear, uh, is that someone was there uh, of his friends or, uh, you know, college kids who pulled him away from the girl. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my recollection of what I'm hearing every day yeah. now about this, this well, situation. Yeah, and I... So I'm... Again, psychologically. Yes. Um, well, psychologically, I mean, it's hard for me to say psychologically what that means. And I'm going to be careful because, one, I don't know all the details of the case. So what I'm going to say is not about Brett Kavanaugh specifically and his exactly. case because I don't know the details. Well, first of all, it seems like they're figuring out the details. But even still, I haven't read even what's been released about that situation. So in a more general way, I think I can talk about this idea and i think it's obviously a complicated one because you said should we judge someone based on something they did when they're let's say 18 years old and if you look at the law here in the united states if you were to murder someone you might be in jail for the rest of your life with something you did at 18 even sometimes younger sometimes um, juveniles will be tried as an adult so in the court of law and in the court of what people actually get how they get punished here sometimes we do judge people in that way but i do think we have to be careful when we look at these issues it is it is complicated it's not a simple one because sexual assault is it's not murder but it is a very serious crime that we should not take lightly at all um and we have to be aware of taking that seriously so i don't know enough of the details of what happened but i do think we have to be careful about how we judge what someone does when they're 16 17 18 as far as how we think they are as an adult because when we're at those ages, we will do some very bad things or stupid things or things we regret. 
And I don't think it's going to be fair to say that because of something you did when you're 17, we can never trust you again for the rest of your life. Now, of course, in this case, we're talking about being on the Supreme Court, which is the highest court in the United States and one that's very important and, of course, has to do with justice and looking at those things. And so people might question his character. Uh, but I also know it's very much dependent, unfortunately, because we have such a polarized political system right now in the United States as to whether you want him on the court or not. That's going to have a huge impact on how most people are going to evaluate his particular situation. But I think we, we all have to be aware that we have made mistakes when we were younger. It does depend on what those are and the consequences and also how someone has potentially changed since then, which is hard to prove or really understand. I mean, to say someone has changed or not is hard for anyone to evaluate. But to me, that's important that someone could, you know, make a mistake or do some things that were wrong when they were younger. And I know even calling this a mistake might sound like it's minimizing. If it was, let's say, something like rape, that is really bad. I wouldn't just say, oh, that's a mistake because we all make mistakes every day. But this is a horrible and violent action towards another person. So we don't want to just minimize that as equal to other mistakes we make in life. Um, but I do think we have to be aware of how much we put weight into that. You know, even if we look at a lot of presidential candidates, sometimes they'll say, oh, when they were in high school or in college, did they try marijuana or not? And that makes us think if they should be hold office or not. And I don't think, to me, that's not something we should care about. If they're an active drug user or an addict, yes, of course, that affects them now. But if they experimented with drugs in college, I don't think, to me, that would make or break the way I would look at them as being someone who should be, hold office. And again, experimenting with drugs, sexual assault, definitely not the same thing. But my point is that we have to be aware of how strongly we evaluate someone based on things they did at 16, 17, 18 to who they are now. What do you think about uh, the issue? Well, uh, I am not at any position uh, to make any judgment. My concern is, uh, again, as uh, my concern is with who we have as president as, at this time, is with uh, also uh, the administration and who he chooses. Uh, but at the same time, again, I don't want to pass any judgment uh, based on what I hear uh, that is, in this case, 30 years ago, uh, a teenage boy um, did something outrageous, as he did. And that, uh, with that in mind, uh, I wanted to just uh, get a, uh, a professional opinion uh, from you, uh, how much uh, do we really know what we are doing when we are at that age? Um, I grew up in a culture that was totally different, uh, especially that I'm a woman. Mm. And, um, you know, it was very restricted. Uh, and, and we have our own personality, our, our own disposition as well. I, I understand that. But uh, the reason I ask this question of you is because you are uh, well aware, as, as far as I can hear you talking, uh, of uh, early childhood psychology and psychology, basically. 
and and uh, how much I mean, our brain is not completely mm-hmm. developed until we are twenty five. That's I mean, true. Uh, That's a big so, point. That's something I wanted to comment on too. You're right. Um, you know that the the frontal lobe or you know these things sometimes we don't want to make it so simplified but the parts of the brain that are thinking about long-term consequences and planning aren't going to be as well developed and that's why we'll see amongst other reasons teenagers making some very bad choices sometimes not thinking about the consequences or doing things that might hurt them or hurt other people they might feel invincible all sorts of things so uh, i do think again it's it's not a black or white thing to say anything you do in those years doesn't matter or to say that it me- it's a clear reflection of who you are for the rest of your life. I don't think that would be fair. And I think in the teenage years, people do make some bad choices. And again, this is a very bad one if it was indeed sexual assault. Um, but I also think we have to be aware that people can change who they are or they do as they grow, can become someone different. So it doesn't mean that, to me, because he, if he did that, and again, it depends on how extreme it was, it wouldn't tell me that he was necessarily or is necessarily a bad person or that he doesn't have any respect for women. Now, I know some of the judgments he's made or statements he's made about women's rights or women's health, especially, um, and women's rights to choose, for example, are questionable. I think that's what makes people kind of tie these things together that isn't related maybe in some way, the way that he sees women that even birth control maybe isn't something that they should be allowed to use or I forgot what he called it, something related to abortion, basically, but in birth control, um, people are comparing that to, well, he maybe doesn't think women should have any rights over their bodies, as he showed by being you know, sexually exploiting some woman 30, 40 years ago. And so people are combining those things together, and maybe there is a relationship. I think it's that people just, some people disagree with him, no matter what. And they're going to find things even from his past to confirm that. Whereas if you agree with him, you'll probably say, oh, that was when he was a kid. It doesn't matter. So we have to also be aware of the biases we bring into the situation. If you're a Democrat, you're going to say this is the he was he's a bad person. Look what he did. If you're a Republican, most of them are going to say, oh, come on, he was 17. It doesn't mean anything. And we have to think, well, if the shoe was on the other foot, if it was a Democratic nominee and you're a Democrat, what would you say? And if you were a Republican, would you try to attack the person? And that's something for each person to think about for themselves. Because I think, unfortunately, what we see now in our political um, sphere is that people are really just picking their team and it doesn't matter what they say, they're going to be supporting it. And what the other side says, they're going to attack it or attack the person. And that, of course, is a problem. But yeah, I think we, I, I, for myself, I'm sure I did some things in those teenagers, nothing like that, but that I'm, of course, not going to be so proud of. And if I was judged as a person based on the worst thing I did when I was 17, probably many people wouldn't want to come see me as a therapist. They would say, you're not very smart if you did something like that. But we all have to recognize we, we grow and we change and we have to give people that benefit of the doubt, too. Now, he could be a bad person. I don't know him to say he is or isn't, but that's about who he is now more than what he did just 30 years ago. So I think people, when they're in their teenage years, they have done some stupid things that we should be aware of and not judge them fully as this is who you are for the rest of your life. I don't think that would be fair. I definitely believe in people changing, people having remorse for their actions, people growing and developing into a new and better person. And we should always be trying to do that. And in our teenage years, we aren't as good in making decisions and can make some very bad ones. Um, And I think to hold someone accountable that for the rest of their life, they are 
that kind of person is probably not fair. So in this, again, this is not about Brett Kavanaugh because no, I don't know who no, he is now, not. but just I think um, to, to judge him based on something he did at 17 as this is his character for sure and now I know him might be too much. But I also think, as you mentioned, women have been silenced for a long time when it comes to things like sexual assault. And of course, recently, this has been very much in the media with the whole Me Too movement and it is movement in the right direction. Um, so I think we have to not minimize that part of the situation, but also be aware that it doesn't mean that anything anyone has ever done in this realm means that they are automatically a bad person and are unfit for any kind of position or office. So it's a complicated issue, and I don't know enough about Brett Kavanaugh himself now, or even the whole situation. I don't know what this woman has said happened or what is going on to give a judgment on him, I don't know, but I do think we have to try to be balanced in how we look at these situations and not just assume we know someone based on something they did at 17. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Thank you very sure. much. Sure. Thanks for calling. Uh, thank you. Have, Have a, a good day. day. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go to our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can also hear some music in the background. I don't know if it's Hotel California or what song that is, but there's some okay. music in the background we can hear. Yeah. Uh, I'm a girl. I'm calling from Paris. I make my graduate here three years ago. Um, if I want to ask my question... Uh, Shortly, uh, I feel really alone around 10 years, and the migration causes my problem to be much more. I just wanted to escape from Iran, but when I came here, I understood that it was just by force that I'm here. It is not my place, because my visa got rejected to USA. So what city are you in? What? Where are you now? You said you said you couldn't come to the U.S. In France, I'm in Paris at the moment. Okay, okay. And so you're saying you feel very alone. Yes. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, all the things that I have uh, dreamed for my life suddenly mm, shattered together. Hmm. I have studied psychology and I have MA in clinical psychology from National Taiwan University. I wanted to migrate to USA, but uh, the matter of issuing visa for USA was so difficult, and I got rejected two years ago, so I had to go to the Schengen area. I came here, and Europe is not my style, and uh, is not the place that I really loved. So I'm just here for escaping from Iran. Hmm. I wanted to make family. I wanted to have social security, freedom, wealth, and these are not the things that Europe is going to give them to me. 
the euro rate is That's very, that is very unfortunate. I think it is very sad that, that these things happen and that you're stuck somewhere you don't want to be. And even first that you had to escape a country or feel like you had to escape a country, but then you couldn't go where you wanted to go. And I'm sorry that you're going through all of that. And it does obviously seem very difficult. But what you might have to try to do is accept that even though you are not where you want it to be or dreamt of being, which was the U.S., that you might have to accept your reality more than you want to right now. Maybe Paris isn't the place and Europe isn't the place for you. That's very possible, and I'm sure you will still try to come to the U.S., but you might have to accept it more as your place right now because if you keep thinking of it as not your place, you're not going to even... Do everything you can to settle in there. Make yourself happy. It's not the same thing, but I remember hearing so many stories of people when they came from Iran to the United States after the revolution or around the time of the revolution, figuratively and also literally, they'd say they still have their bags packed to go back to the U to, to go back to Iran. And sometimes, really, they maybe had their bags packed. They didn't want to really unpack, or sometimes, really, we're talking more mentally and psychologically. But if we don't accept that I am here and I have to establish myself where I am, we're not really going to do everything we can to accept that reality that this is home for now, even if it doesn't feel like home. But right now, maybe Europe and Paris might be your home. And even if you don't like it, and I can understand you don't, and it seems like there's lots of difficulties, I would hope that you can try to accept that this is my reality right now. And I have to make the best of this reality. This is home. This is my home. Even though it feels unfair, maybe it is unfair. But to accept that this is home for now, how can I make the best of this situation? Uh, you know, I'm talented. Mm -hmm. I, I really tried hard for my life. Mm. I'm not a typical girl. Whenever... Here in Paris, I just introduce myself and I say, okay, I'm Iranian. They say, oh my God, wow. I didn't know that the girls from your country are at this rate nice. In the weekends, I just go to the animal shelters and I help dogs hmm. to survive. I go to environment and nature and gather the garbage from the streets. 
or nature. I clean the Danube from other European countries. I clean the river from garbage. I mean, I respect nature. I respect every kind of life, soul in life. But why God doesn't help me to mm. get rid of this condition? Well, I, I mean. Yeah, I, I think when you, you know, I think it sounds like you do a lot of this from the goodness of your heart. You're a good, kind person. I also think when you go visit those animals in the shelter, you can relate to them. You feel, you said yourself, you feel like you're in a prison. And I think when you go to those animals, you're giving them the love that you wish someone was giving to you. You wish you had that from someone. Someone would come take care of you, give you love, take you out of your your very horrible position right now you said you're hoping god would help you or give you something and and i think life it seems has been unfair to you and so i'm sorry for that and i'm sorry that you are you know, going through so much god is unfair to me i cannot accept it of course i'm just losing my youth over these years if i if i've been to usa it's not because of my passport seven years ago i have been able to launch my own business instead of being a lolita or something that everyone looks like a sexual doll you know being a lonely girl beautiful in a country which is foreign and you speak the language more or less is so dangerous i have survived many times from lots of dangers and it's not safe you know I'm just challenging for my security. I'm just challenging with a 17,000 to euro for survival, and it is not fair. Mm. You know? Mm -hmm. I don't know up to when I can continue this situation, but it's so dangerous, so dangerous. I, I have studied eight years mm -hmm. in my country, and now I'm just struggling to pay my flat rent monthly. I'm under a great pressure. Mm. I apply for U.S. visa. They say that even if you find the correct person for marriage, because your passport is Iranian, you'll be rejected. I try to make everything officially correct and even mentally. But, you know, I think that the problem is not just me. The situation is not correct. Mm-hmm. No, I get what you're saying. It doesn't seem fair. And I'm not going to tell you that things are fair or what even fair would be for you. The only thing I'm trying to get to or try to convey to you is that you might have to accept the reality that it is this and that it might be unfair and that you have to make the best of what feels like an unfair situation. Because that's all, maybe that's the only choice you have. So... The, the world feels like it's being unfair to you, but we want you to be as fair as you can to yourself, to create the yeah. best life you can for yourself there. And I'm not saying things wouldn't be better for you in the United States, but you should be assured that it would still be very, very difficult for you here. It's not that if you came to the U.S. it would be so simple and easy and everything. I, I, I know that, yeah. but I'm sure that living in Europe is... 100 persons is difficult, much more difficult than living in the States. Okay, it might because be. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I really don't. Um, but I, again, coming as an immigrant to the United States and trying to establish a business as a therapist, I just want you to know it's not going to be so easy 
And the reason why I say that is not to tell you that your dream is a bad one or you shouldn't want to come here, but I don't want you to think that you're in hell and then U.S. would have just been heaven for you, that you would come here and everything would have been so easy. Because, because yeah. that can make you feel even more that things are unfair, that everything you're going through you shouldn't have to go through, and that you don't want to accept the reality of where you are now. So maybe U.S. would be better for you. I'm not disagreeing with that. But I'm also wanting to make sure you don't get sucked into this idea of how easy it would have been and anything hard you go through now is only because you're in Europe. And be because yeah. if you were in U.S., everything would be easy. So you realize that life as an immigrant going from Iran to Europe or Iran to America would have been very hard, very hard, no matter what the situation was so i think the hardest would be staying in iran the yeah, maybe that's and that's staying. a good point to realize that you you were able to get yourself out of even a worse situation so as hard yeah. as it is you did get out of something even worse you know uh, the other thing that is really bothering me uh, i'm in a moral dilemma at the moment whether mm. to use medication and drugs Okay. Like Essentra for my curing severe depression at the moment or not? Because I like to survive. What was the drug? I, Sorry, what drug did you say? Essentra. I mean. Oh, 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 okay, okay. I mean, do you suggest me medication? I'm not. I'm drugs. not at all opposed to you taking an antidepressant, especially with how, how sad you say you are and how much difficulty you're going through. What's the moral dilemma for you? To use the drugs or not to use them. Because, you know, there is not anything wrong with me. The situation is uh, obliging right. to be like that. that uh, it's it in, it's a interesting. Very severe condition. Yes. I don't have any family. I don't have any kind of. Uh, I have a bad memory. I have a very bad past. And, okay. You know, I was in Iran and my dog being killed in front of hmm. me by someone. Uh, some of those memories just come to me, yeah. and I, but I you, cannot forget. Yes, and so it's interesting even how you ask the question that I have this moral dilemma because you're saying that you don't want to take an antidepressant because nothing is wrong with you, as if if you take an antidepressant, somehow that labels you as a bad person or that you've done something bad or you are bad. Not at all. You take an antidepressant because you're in pain. Just like if someone takes a Tylenol for their headache, they're not saying, I'm a headache person, I'm a bad person. They're saying, my head hurts, yeah, so I'm I taking know. Tylenol. So when you take a medication, and of course, yes, an antidepressant is more serious than Tylenol, but you're not taking it because you're a bad person or you're somehow to blame yeah. for what you're going through. Mm -hmm. you're, go, you're having it because you feel bad. Let's say someone is married and their husband dies. And they you get know, depressed. We I don't say, hold on, once, I'll, I'll, I want to hear what you have to say, but let me just finish the thought. If their husband dies and they get depressed, we don't blame them for being depressed, but we want them to get help. They deserve help. You deserve help to feel better, not because you're yeah. bad, but because you are sad, because you're going through pain. So don't think that by taking medication, and I hope you also go to therapy, it's somehow a judgment on you as a bad person. It's just yeah. looking at your situation that you need help. Just like if you were sick, I'd want you to go see a medical doctor to help you. Not because you're a bad person that got sick, but because you're feeling sick. You're in pain. You need help. So to me, taking antidepressant is in no way a reflection of you being a bad person or to blame for your situation. And your focus, I think, very much in even how you're saying that is so much on who's to blame. 
it's unfair, the situation I'm in. Who's to blame the most? Who am I supposed to be angry at? Am I angry at God? Am I angry at the U.S. government and the way they do their immigration? Am I angry at Iran, Europe, whatever it might be? And if you keep focusing on the blame, you're not going to be able to move on because you're going to keep focusing on who am I supposed to be mad at and you hold on to the anger. Just like even Nelson Mandela, he was in jail, I forgot how many, several decades. When he came out of the prison, he said, if I stayed mad at the people who put me in jail, I would still be in the prison. So I had to be able to forgive and let go of that to move forward. So I'm not saying your situation is not unfair, but I want you to realize that if you keep focusing on who's to blame, you're going to stay angry and sad and not be able to move forward. But if you can accept what's going on, even if it is unfair, and also accept that you're not to blame if you're sad, that's not what we're even looking at. It's not about blame. But do what's best for you now. You can create the best life you can for yourself, which is right now, of course, very difficult, but you can make it better slowly by slowly, and we could even talk a bit about that. But when it comes to the medication, not at all do I think it's a bad idea for you or that you should feel bad if you were to take it. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's not about blame. We don't need to worry about whose fault it is. We have to just make the best of it now. Yeah. You seem very depressed. That's why these medications are there. That's why therapy is there too. I would hope you find a therapist. I know it can be hard based on, you said, financially things are difficult. But whatever insurance you have or whatever you can, go talk to someone. Of course. And, and, you, and, you know, something else you've talked about, loneliness, that's really, that's going to create a lot of sadness. You have to try to find people. I know it's easier said than done, but even other Iranians that are there that you can maybe yeah. connect to. If you can't connect as much to the Parisians there, and that can happen. Thankfully, it sounds very similar, Parisian, Persian. Maybe that'll help in making it easier to find. But find some Persians that are there. You okay. need connection. You need relationship. And also, based on what you said of how painful your childhood was, it's also possible that you're used to being lonely. Mm-hmm. And even though it's very painful and very sad, you might be used to it. You might even be afraid to get close to people. Yeah. It's correct. Yeah. So that part is going to be difficult. That's why I would hope you work on yourself, too, in going to therapy not be afraid to take the medication, but you might be more afraid of people to let them into your life. And so you that's going to be hard. Unfortunately, I don't know what's going wrong in my life. Actually, my condition is the condition of thousands of thousands of people. I was much more lucky that I could get into Europe in a younger age. Mm-hmm. But I take medica- medications, professional ones. I visited many doctors from Geneva, from Paris. I used sertraline, many things. I started my day with yoga. Mm-hmm. I have uh, friends in Iranian community from French community. I travel to Monaco in weekends. I, I travel. Mm-hmm. I have lots of plans with nature, with animals, with good causes. But I don't know what has happened inside me that this pain is too much yeah. deep that it cannot be revealed, not by medication, mm. not by nature, not by friends, not by socializing. Yeah, I think that, that, of course, that pain, that's the most important thing that you're dealing with. 
But I think when I now hear you say that in the way you just said it now, it seems like when we look at blame, now you blame yourself for feeling the way you do. And that's mm -hmm. the problem. And I, that's not fair to you either. Now we're at a commercial break, but I want to talk to you a little bit more. Okay. So hang on the line. We're going to talk after the commercial. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm so happy I got to talk to you and keep talking to you. Uh, I'm sorry about, of course, the amount of pain that you're in. But if we look at what you shared, at first it was talking about how unfair everything is in your life and how bad it is. And it does seem like there is a lot that has been unfair that things haven't gone your way. But then by the end of it, before we went to the commercial break, it seemed clear that you were also blaming yourself for being sad. Because you were saying, you know what, people have it even harder than me, and I do everything, I travel, I do yoga, I have friends, I do all of this, but I'm still sad. And I want you to know that you're not bad for being sad. You're not a bad person if you're feeling depressed or that you're doing something wrong or something is bad about you. And we don't have to try to focus on who to blame or who to be mad at for what you're feeling. I know it doesn't feel good, so you want to find a reason or find someone to blame. But rather than focusing on who to blame, I want you to focus on trying to make yourself feel better, which I know you're doing a lot, but it does seem like you didn't want to accept your depression because somehow you felt like that would be your responsibility or your fault. And so you don't want to go on medication or get help the way that you, you should or you could. And so I hope you do all those things to help yourself that you're doing and more. And realize you deserve them. And it's not about figuring out whose fault it is that you're sad. If you had a very painful childhood, as you described, with lots of bad memories, that's going to contribute to it, of course. And if you had maybe even a predisposition to be depressed and also the stresses you're dealing with it's all contributing to what you're feeling but we, you don't have to stay stuck where you are you can change that that can change yes mm -hmm. okay so i hope you'll really take the the idea of medication seriously go to therapy keep what doing what you're doing and again accept your reality at least as it is now Right now, Paris is your home. That's where you have to make your life. You can't wait to make your life in the U.S. And I feel like that's what you're doing, is that when I come to the U.S., I'm going to make my life. But right now, I have to just stay in this uh, pending moment of just waiting for that. But we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you never can come to the U.S. Maybe you can. But at least you have to make the best right now. You have to put your roots in the ground in Paris, where you are, in your reality right now and not live in the sky, in the air of when I someday come to where I want to go, then I'll live my life. You have to start living it now. 
it's okay, but you know, I don't uh, have any permit for work. I'm uh, here with a student mm. visa. I yeah. just try to be logical. I'm a lonely girl. And 97% of the men want to uh, take advantage of my beauty or something like that. It's several years that I want to make family. But unfortunately, all the people who came to my life want to abuse. Uh, mm. I always try to be positive. I do lots of things for my life to get through life in the best, correct way. Mm -hmm. But I think that the situation is also important. Of course. I mean, my situation in life is just, how do we call it in uh, English? I don't know the name. It is just... Uh, 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 yes. Doomed. It is mm -hmm. doomed to failure, my life. I am nice and kind with people. I'm, I'm respected to nature. I do lots of good things. But I just gain bad things. Mm -hmm. You know, it is just a matter of luck. I'm sure, you know, does... It, it does seem like there is uh, lots of bad luck. Things have not gone your way, and I know it feels doomed. But a few things. One is, when we're feeling depressed, we feel that the world is doomed, that we are bad, that life is bad, that life is going to be bad. And so you have that mindset. I'm not saying there aren't people that want to do bad things or that have bad intentions, or men are out there, and a lot of men, they just might want a sexual relationship, even if you want something more, that does exist, of course. And if you come to the U.S., it's not that those people don't exist here either, and they exist in every country. But there are also people that do want something else. And I think because of your experience, and my guess is your experience in childhood also was that people should not be trusted, It's you, you have a feeling that everyone can't be trusted because some people have been untrustworthy or haven't responded in a good way. But it doesn't mean there are no good people in the world. I, I think it sounds like you think you're a good person, and I believe that. But I don't think you're the only good person in the world. There's other ones too. Okay, so you have to believe that if you're a good person, you're not the only one on this earth. There's other ones also. Maybe sometimes you're um, choosing the wrong ones. And this is things for you to look at. Because if you've had bad experiences in your life... And if you've had people that were not trustworthy or treated you poorly, unfortunately, a lot of times you'll find people that are that way or you'll be attracted to those kinds of people. So it's not that those people don't exist, but you might be even seeking them out more than you realize. So I don't think there's no one out there for you that's also looking for a good, serious relationship. But there are a lot of people that don't want that. And also you are probably good at finding those people that don't want that, that want to treat you bad, that want to abuse you. So I'm not trying to blame you, but I want you to be aware that you're playing a part in choosing people. You have that choice in who you choose. So you might be choosing the wrong people as well. And that's also part of what's going on. So I hope you won't completely lose hope because it seems like when you say doomed, you're getting to that point where there's no good people out there. But again, I think you're great, but I don't think you're the only one. There's other people there too. And in Paris, I'm sure there's other people there too. Just like in, if you come to the U.S., there's some people that will want to take advantage of you, unfortunately, here. And there's also some good people that you can find. And we have to try to find those good people and create those good relationships. We have to trust them slowly over time. 
We don't trust them 100% the first minute, and we don't assume they have to be evil people, but we give them a little bit of space to show us who they are. And so you have to look at what have you been doing in your relationships too. Have you, for example, trusted too soon? Have you picked people that maybe had some bad qualities and for some reason that actually attracted you to them? So I think your mindset is very much the mindset of someone who's gone through a lot of pain, a lot of hardships, and who's also depressed, who thinks the world is bad and all people are bad. And it's hard to see anything other than that when you're looking through the the world through those lenses, through those glasses, basically. Everything looks yeah. bad. But I hope you can at least even logically understand that, okay, if I think I'm a good person, I can't be the only one on this earth that's a good person. There's other people out there. And hold on to that hope, because if you lose hope, that's going to be very dangerous. You have to have some hope that things can be better, that there are good humans out there, good people for friendships, good people for romantic relationships. It can be hard to find those people. It can be hard to create those relationships. But because it's worth it, I'm going to keep trying. I have to keep trying. I can't give up. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you for calling. I'm glad I got to talk to you. I wish you the best. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on the world. Don't give up on what you can do. And right now, Paris is your home. Make the best of yeah. it there, okay? Okay, of course. Okay, good luck. Nice talking Thank to you. Thank you so much. Sure. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Hello, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Or you're not. Maybe you're not there. <laughs> let's put you back on hold. Let's go to someone else. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, hello? Hello? Yes, hi. Yes. yes. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure, thanks for calling. And I was just, uh, I go to my question, and then you can ask me any question that you sure. have or how I can. I have a, uh, a son, 17 years old, he's a junior in high school, mm -hmm. and he he has been born in here in the United States, and um, he is, uh, and he's my second child, I have two sons, he has an older brother. What I see very different is he is... When it comes to social life at school, he's very social. He has a lot of friends. He doesn't have any problem. Nobody sees any problem. He's, but when it comes home on a weekend mm -hmm. and Friday, Saturday, whatever it is, is just he's home. He's a homebody. He doesn't go out. He doesn't do anything with his friends. He doesn't, um, you know, like go to party with them, or not like party party, I mean, even to go to each other's house or see, watch the game or whatever. He doesn't want to do any of that, and he doesn't do any of the stuff like that at all. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if that is, um, that could be normal, or is it something that I have to help him look for it, or... Hmm. Well, you know, whether or not it's normal, we want to try to understand it better first, and I'll talk to you about it, and we'll see what we can understand together. But the best way for you to understand it better is to talk to him, which we're going to have to get his understanding of it, because it, it could be normal, or it could be that when it comes to school and things, he feels okay, but then when it comes time to initiate seeing people, either he gets anxious about it, or related to that, he might have low self-esteem and feel like they don't want to see him or they don't want to be around him or something in that line. So my concern is that he has social anxiety 
um, or something about himself he doesn't feel good about it, and he feels more safe or comfortable at home than being around friends, even though probably he wants that too. So have you talked to him about this issue, about if he wants to see his friends, if he likes seeing his friends, if he gets nervous I about did. friends? Okay. I have talked to him about it, and I asked him, and he said he doesn't see any problem, and he's okay. He okay. doesn't see it like he can't do it or whatever. And when it comes to, for example, he loves board games, for example. Mm-hmm. When it comes to gathering his friend or uh, gathering with his friend to play a board game that he likes, he does that. He doesn't mm-hmm. have any problem. When it's a purpose for it, like let's do fantasy football. He gets all the friends over here. Let's just set up the fantasy football. He does that. But it's not very often. It's once in a while, and it's with the purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like let's get together and just it's Friday night, you know. And, and I have to say, he does have general anxiety problems. Mm-hmm. He does have a little anxiety. I don't think he has a social anxiety okay. because – and he used to be extremely social, Uh, with his friend going out or doing stuff and when he was younger. And he did get diagnosed with Crohn's disease a few years ago, Uh about two years ago. Uh, It was the same time that he was like on eighth grade, you know, and a lot of his friends that he had his all his life, like, you know, for the first through eighth grade together, they did go through the, they picked the choices that he didn't like to be part of it. And he kind of got got away from those friends a little. Uh-huh. And then after that, with his diagnosis, and he has to do very special diet, he can't eat out, he can't, you know, with all of that, of course, it did add a little to, more to his anxiety. And then he just never really get to go out with his, you know, find a new friends. Or he does have a friend. I can't say he doesn't mm-hmm. have really friends. Okay. And I go to schools or yeah. activities in a school. I mean, he's just like everybody loves him. He's, mm-hmm. Well, know. so we have to, you know, the, the fact that he was doing more things socially than stop, that's something that, you know, stands out to me that we want to be aware of. Um, but we also have to be aware that each person is is allowed to live their life the way they want to live it. So he might be okay. My concern would be is if he's not okay with it, but he's just saying he is because he, maybe he's embarrassed or shy to talk about the real reason why he is withdrawing socially or not being as social. But we have to uh, understand that we can't dictate or tell someone how social they should be. You know, you should be out every Friday or Saturday or you shouldn't be or you have to have this many friends or not. It's about if the person feels good about their social life. If they feel like, you know what, I like my friends and the amount of time I spend with them, and that feels good to me. That's their choice. And we have to make sure we give him that space to have that choice. What's also you know, interesting in what you're saying is, I'm not saying this is exactly what's happening with your son, but we do see more that kids, and I don't think it's actually a good thing, but because of their phones and things like Snapchat and the way they're communicating, a lot of times they just stay home and they communicate, they text with seven, eight people at the same time, but they don't actually get together and see each other. So 
it is becoming more common where they'll just all be alone in their bedrooms. In a way, they feel like they're together, kind of like alone together, which is the name of a book. But he doesn't know that a lot okay. either. Yeah, so maybe... He doesn't do that a lot. So what we have to look at is his desire for social contact and interaction. So we're actually at a commercial break, but I do want to get a chance to talk to you a little bit more about what's going on. So just hang on the line and let's talk after the commercials, okay? Okay, thank you. All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to the caller we were with before the break. Caller, are you still there? Yes. Okay, so we're talking about your 17-year-old son, um, and you're concerned about how he's doing socially, that you feel like he seems to have friends when he's at school, but then when it comes to the weekends, he doesn't make plans with them. And so he's usually just alone in his room, or what does he do? No, actually, he doesn't go to his room a lot. He's just doing the homework, and he does... Um, I mean, he does play sports, volleyball okay. and basketball. So sometimes he does that, or he has a game, or he has, you know, uh, will practice some of that. He plays a lot of chess. He goes to a lot of tournaments in chess. So sometimes he goes to a place to play chess with people over there, you know, some mm-hmm. of his friends, and or go to tournaments or do the homework. Okay. Or just hang out at home, do you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, and it does, you know, he's into things like chess and things that a lot of kids his age might not be into, but there's nothing wrong with that. And if he, you know, to, again, it's about his subjective experience. If he feels socially okay, if he doesn't feel like he's missing out or if he's, you know, my concern would be, and it might not be the case, if he wants to spend time with friends, but he's either socially anxious or doesn't think they want to see him or... You know, it's something like that. But if it's that he actually likes the way his life goes and he feels he but has... But how do I know? He does. He told me he's okay with that. And that that is my concern to see how yeah. I would know. Because I feel like when, when he gets invited to a friend's house or when he gets invited to some kind of a social event, mm-hmm. he is happy about it. Okay. He participated. And not all of them, if it is a social event that he is not going to like it, like if it's a party that he knows he will go and it's not the way he wanted it to be, you know, it's, you know, some alcohol involved or whatever at this age, he doesn't go. Uh-huh. He never does go to those kind of stuff. But, and, um, but if it is like gathering with a friend or let's watch a game, a football game or a basketball game or whatever... I mean, he goes, and he really likes it, mm-hmm. and I can say he's happy. But when every time I tell him, what if you invite your friends over here? Ask everyone to come over here. We can have a party here. You can watch the game and everything. He says, no, he's fine. He doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I always welcome his friends, you know, over here. But he never initiates that. Okay. Well, that's the part where we have to look at what's going on with him and and you have to be careful in how you ask him because you're saying I ask him or I try to suggest these things. But if you come on very strong, he's going to get defensive. So if you say, why don't you tell your friends to come over? 
it, it depends on how you say it. It could be a why as in judgment or why as in asking, and he's going to respond mm-hmm. differently. Or if you ask him what's going on with his friends, if he feels like he's being judged by you, he's more likely to then try to defend himself. So I do wonder what he's going through, but you can only get those answers by creating a conversational environment with him where he feels comfortable, where he doesn't feel judged or that you're going to uh, tell him he should do this or he shouldn't do that or he's doing it wrong, that you really want to understand his experience. Does he actually like his social life or is it actually, you know, what? I wish I did get to see more games with my friends, but it seems like they don't want me to hang out with them or they I don't know if they'll want to come over or maybe he's embarrassed about something in the home and it's nothing personally about you but sometimes kids might feel something about their parents or their home and they might not want kids to come over Uh, it could be something like that but I would want to try to understand that better and that can only happen by having conversations with him where he feels comfortable to talk to you what's his relationship like with his dad well we are divorced okay dad um how long ago was that? Uh, about six years now. Okay. All right. Is he still in relationship with his dad? He is, but he is, yes. But he's, he um, he lives with me mm-hmm. all the time. And yes, definitely he has a relationship with his dad. He sees him and, you know. Um, okay. And usually he's pretty good with... I don't know about the social stuff, but like anything else, he usually come and talk to me about it. But maybe you're right. Maybe I have um, come a little strong about, mm-hmm. you know, talking about his friends or inviting his friends. But I don't know what I can do now or how I can have the conversation that make him feel comfortable yeah. Well, it's going to take some time. And one thing before we get to that, is I know you said you had another child. I don't know. Was that a son or a daughter? A son. A son. Okay. And, you know, what parents sometimes do is they compare their kids, even not always just in a bad way, but we say, okay, well, when my older son was 17, this is what his social life looked like. And now this 17 year old doesn't look that way. So something has to be wrong. And it's not always the case. People, of course, are different and are going to want different things. So maybe your older son was more traditionally social in the way he interacted with other kids or made his plans or had a different outlook than your son that is 17 now is. So we want to make sure we're not comparing and saying, well, you're not making as many plans as your older brother did, so something is wrong. They could be different, and we have to accept that too. So I want you to be aware of that so that when you talk to him, you don't give him that feeling that your older brother was healthier in a social way or did it better or did it right. They could just be different. You know, again, if you're telling me 17-year-old who likes to go play chess, I think that's really great and cool. I I would like to see that and and even play with him. I'm not that good. I'm sure he would beat me easily, but still I'd want to interact with him. But some of these other 17-year-olds aren't as into those things. So I think it's actually good that he goes places to play because then he can meet other people, hopefully his age too, that like chess or like the things he's into and can make connections and friendships with them. And that's good. But he might be a little bit socially not as similar to other kids. Do you see him that way? Is he a little bit different in that way than other kids his age? Yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. I can see that. He is... um... He's a very logical person. Mm-hmm. He's a very, um, I mean, he, as I say, he, he likes to do things with purpose. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Like, let's go to the mall and hang out. He never does that. <laughs> What is the purpose of that? Yeah. And you know, so that's not him. And mm -hmm. he's, but if you say, let's get together, have a game of a chess, let's get, get together, have a play some basketball or, you know, have a purpose mm -hmm. for this gathering. He'll do Then it. He, yeah. he's, he, he will do it. Okay. And not many 17 years old are that way. Most mm -hmm. of them, let's get together or have some food. Or, yeah. And he can't really go out in a restaurant and have some food with, with his friends because that's what mostly they do. And I understand that. That limits him a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. yeah, like you say, he's more focused on the logical. like per And purpose is an interesting word because... And even you see a lot of adults that are this way, too, that it's just things have to have a purpose, not realizing that relationships serve a purpose and have a function, too, obviously. And, of mm -hmm. course, the person has to want that. But some people think, well, if we're just sitting and talking to each other, that's a waste of time. Whereas we know that building connections in that way is actually very valuable and does have a big purpose. And maybe your son is more focused on the logical side of himself than the emotional side, which can have its own issues and consequences down the line and something we want him to hopefully be aware of. Um, but that could be who he is. So it's good to have these conversations with him and try to understand him. Even, And you can even tell him, you know, sometimes I might have come on too strong, I realize, about your social life. Or maybe I... I in, introduced myself too much in trying to tell you to make these kinds of plans or those kinds of plans and i apologize for that that wasn't maybe right of me to do i just want to more understand you and what you your social life and what you go through what you like and don't like so you can have a conversation where you explain to him maybe i was doing too much or i might have come off judgmental and if i did i'm sorry for that and still know that that doesn't mean from then on he's going to totally say everything but it could be a step in the right direction because you want to let him know i want to hear what you have to say not tell you how you should live your life socially um but it does seem like your son there's something about him a little bit different and different is not bad different is just different and we want to make sure he doesn't feel bad for being different either okay so i guess My feeling is, I don't think he's feeling bad about it. Okay. I think it's more me. Yeah, I was going to say you're bad feeling about bad about it. Exactly. And yes. I know that I want it, uh, but I wanted to make sure that the same thing that you say is not just because of his anxiety or just because yeah. he, his condition or he can't have food or just that's why he's not going because I wanted to make it. Uh, whatever I can for him to make it comfortable for him. If he wants, mm -hmm. he can participate. Yeah. I wanted to give him that message, and maybe I um, maybe I haven't been able to give it exactly mm -hmm. like that, And uh, but I just wanted to make sure that it's not something that I should worry about or how I can help him. Well, yeah, that, and the thing is, the more you go into it with the worrying mentality, the less he's going to tell you. So you have to try to have a stance of curiosity. I want to understand what you, you do or you're going through, not I'm going to tell you it's right or wrong, or I'm worried about it, you better change it. I want to actually understand. And curiosity is what you want to have when you talk to him. Oh, okay, so you go there. When you go to chess, like, do you, you know, what is it like for you there? Do you have fun? Who do you interact with? Are there other kids your age? And maybe you already know some of these things. But you want to have conversations that come from curiosity. 
I'm trying to understand, not trying to judge or tell you or push you in one way or the other, because you know what you want and you can give that to yourself. I can't give it to you, but I also want to, and you can, maybe you could have a talk with them and you have to be careful of how you bring it up of, I felt like when you were younger, you would go out with your friends more. And now it seems like you do it less. And I don't know if something has changed or you just have different preferences, but I want to understand it. So it's not that, why don't you do that anymore? You should do that still. But it's trying to understand if you have seen this change in him. I wanted to just, I noticed that and I wanted to understand it. So I would make sure you're aware of how you approach the conversations and the questions you ask, that they're not judgmental or trying to push him, but more in trying to understand him. Okay. And I have tried to, um, when I see he's not doing it, I have tried to um, be friends with the family. I always have done that the families of his friends or his classmates and all that and then to try to have some family event with them you know mm-hmm. like going out or doing something social as a family um to get him more involved and um not i never tell him that but i try oh let's get together with them let's go do something i don't know like a bowling or going mm-hmm. out or whatever and uh, I don't know if that is good or that is bad. Well, or... I, I think it, whether, you know, so you have to be aware first, it, it seems like you are trying to do a lot. You're trying to maybe, and not that it's necessarily bad, but you might be doing too much. He might not like that you do that. Maybe he doesn't want to have these gatherings. And something you just said about two minutes ago is very important. It might not be that he doesn't like his social life. It might be that you don't like his social life or that if you were putting yourself in his shoes, if you were living the social life he was living, you wouldn't be happy. So you assume he has to be unhappy. So you want to change it, but he's not Mm -hmm. you, right? So you have to accept that maybe he likes actually, I love going to the chess club and meeting people or doing this and doing that and seeing games with my friends sometimes and other times being alone. He might be more of what we could call an introvert that enjoys his alone time. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. The problem comes when someone says, I wish I had more time with my friends. I wish I could see them more, but I'm too anxious or I think they don't like me, so I don't see them. That's what we want to see what's going on. But to assume we need to force more time, it might not be what he wants or what he needs. So let's force some family gatherings. Let me get close to his, uh, the, the parents of his friends to make sure we make some plans together so that he has to be around them. Maybe he doesn't want that. So I would try less to find these ways, especially at his age. You know, when kids are five, parents can do more of these things. But at 17, to try to force these types of social interactions, I think it maybe you're overstepping your bounds. And I'd want it to be something you talk to him about even. You know, I thought of getting together because I thought it'd be nice if we all hang out. Do you like this? Maybe he says, you know, mom, oh, I don't I really like it. Ask him. Okay. I always ask him before I plan it. I okay. always ask But him. even with that, you have to be careful of how, because it could still come with the pressure of, I want to do this what do you think and maybe he feels like he has to say yes so i would talk to him more about these things because it does seem like the way you're describing him and very briefly it seems like socially he's a little bit different than other kids his age so his wants might be different than what you're used to seeing and that's can be okay different is not bad different is different and each person has to live the life they want to live not the life we think would be right for them or good for them so we have to make sure we give him that space to live a different life than what you would think would be fun. You know, for him, going somewhere that you think is so boring might be the best day, but that's good for him. Go enjoy it. Just like you might think some food is disgusting, he thinks is good. 
Nushujanish, let him enjoy it and taste that food, right? So we have to give him that space to, to experience what he wants to experience. And again, create a conversation of curiosity rather than judging or telling him it should be this way or that way. Okay, so as long as he's fine with it, as long as he's comfortable with it, and he doesn't see that the problem, that would be okay. Even that, that to me is the most important thing. I mean, as long as he feels good about his relationships, he feels connected enough where he feels good about it, that's what's going to matter. It's a subjective experience. There's no, he has to have six friends or he has to have plans four times a month or something like that. There's no black or white. Okay. If he's feeling I lonely. The only concern that I had that I was worried that I basically called to is just like I hear always to all the conversation that they say you, you always have to have like one or two buddies or best friend or someone that is always, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like. He doesn't even have that right well, now. That I could be a problem. He has that yeah. body. Well, that can be an issue. And so, again, social relationships are important. So I'm not saying they're not. But the way our social life is going to look is something that has to feel good for us and be right for us. And that's why the conversation has to be more about what is his experience of his social life and making sure he doesn't feel judged for what he does or doesn't do. And if he's okay with it, I'm okay with it. I don't want him to be alone or isolated or feel lonely. That can be a problem. But if he feels actually, no, I'm as connected as I like to be, and he's maybe a little bit different than other people, that's okay. So we have to try to okay. get to that place where he can express that to you. It might take some time, but recognize that his wants might be very different than your own wants socially, and he might have a different experience. So that's all okay. you can do at this point. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks I really for appreciate it. Sure. Thank thanks for much. calling. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Going into our last commercial break, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Dr. Ferry. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Uh, my question is regarding my son, uh, who is 11 year old mm -hmm. and he's going to be 12 pretty soon. And okay. um, the, the question I have, I know, I'm just, I understand that they get close to their um, teenage uh, era, and mm -hmm. he, he all the time he argues with me and he um, had a friend since kindergarten, and then they were together. They were best friends, and now he's at school. He seems like all the time he comes home and he says, Mom, my friends, they don't uh, play with me. They just ignore me, like especially with his best friend when he used to um, be together all the time. Now when I put my hands around his neck and he is like just ignores me and says, stop it, but whoever does that, he's okay with it. And and in those situations, and I don't know what to say, I'm mm -hmm. sure I have to just listen to him and do not say anything bad about them, but it's hard for me to say um, uh, when he says something like that um, at school, is something like this, and then when he comes home, argues with us. I always tell him when you come home, you can just eat something and then rest a little bit, and then you can do your homework, and then go out with you, play with your friends, with our neighbors if you want. And he, 
I think uh, he has kind of ADHD, mm -hmm. um, but um, it's just he argues with us, and he sometimes he gets mad at me, and he calls me like the last time he called me like. Um, If it's Mom, a bad I word, I don't like you. Okay, okay, that's okay. I just have to make sure you didn't say a bad word on the air. Yes. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> he said, and, uh, "What did he I say, Mom? Know. I don't like you." Yes. Okay. So because I was arguing with him that like it's something that he wanted, he couldn't get it, and he said, "Mom, I don't like you." Mm -hmm. And it, um, that's mild. It's probably going to get worse than that, but as he gets a little bit older. But yes, but he's saying things you're not used to hearing from him. Yes, yes, and and my husband and I, we are. We try to uh, cooperate with him and be um, nice. I mean, we we don't. Want, he wants to all the time hear the yes word. Like, can I do this? Yes. Can I do this? Yes. Sometimes I have, um, you know, rules in the house. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, you cannot play iPad during uh, the week, school days, or you can just only iPad in weekends, and then. Uh, Only maybe thirty minutes, and then if you do your chores and do you, I can give me. I may, I might give you like thirty extra thirty minutes, and he ignores if thirty minutes is over. It's like okay, mom, okay, okay, and it's gonna go to an hour or sometimes two hours. Well, so then okay, so then you don't have rules in your house. Well, I do have, but uh, <laughs> but the rule it, the rules means they have to happen. If they don't happen, then they're not. You're not making rules. But that's what I'm. You know, and a lot of parents say this. Like, well, I have this rule, but if if you're not following through yourself, then it's not a rule. But also, something I always suggest to parents for all kids, but especially as they're getting older, is that if you're going to make types of rules or boundaries, that you make them with the kid. That you don't just say this is how it's going to be, because then he's going to always you're going to create a battle. So he's you say 30 minutes, he's like I'm going to get more than 30 minutes. Watch, you know, he's going to force even if he doesn't want it that much, just to make to win the battle, he'll fight with you. So that's why I say make it with the kids. So it's not you saying you have to do this. It turns into this is a rule that makes sense. Let's understand why we have this rule, and you agree to this, just like bedtime. We don't just tell our kid you have to sleep at this time. We say the reason why we want to sleep at a certain time is so that you get enough sleep, so the next day you feel rested, you have energy, you feel good, you don't have this bad feeling. That's why we want you to sleep early. Not because mom and dad don't want you to have fun or mom and dad want to be strict or mean. It's coming from actually it's good for you. So we come up with the bedtime with the kid. What time do you think feels makes sense for you to sleep? And that's you know when they don't get enough sleep one day. Not to make them feel bad, but you can remind them, remember that day when you slept really late and the next day you didn't feel good and you were kind of in a bad mood and you were sad or you didn't have any energy. That's why it's good to sleep early. So we want to make sure the rules come from a place not just of being dictators and saying this is the rule, but because it has some value and we want to make sure the kid recognizes that value and the kid is also part of making those types of those types of rules with us. Um, but another thing I wanted to make a comment, you said his friend, you know, a good friend he's had since kindergarten now is being kind of mean to him or not so nice. Uh, and it does seem like you're at some level sensitive to it. But the reason why I want to make a comment about this is parents can be very dismissive of what their kids go through socially. So six-year-old comes home and says, oh, mom, like all my friends, they made fun of me and they said they don't want to be my friends anymore. And the parents will say, who cares? Make new friends. It's not hard. Just find someone else. And they don't at all recognize how painful it is to 
be insulted by people you thought were your friends, to feel rejected. And even we as adults, if you went to a, a dinner party and all the people said, you know what, you can't sit at our table, go somewhere else, we would be sad too. We can act like we don't care, but of course you're going to care. So when your six-year-old comes home, and, and again, we're talking about a kid, so even more, we have to make sure we don't just dismiss their social pains as who cares. Oh, John didn't like you, go become friends with Tim. Who cares? No, that's not what people actually feel. So when he says, you know, this friend I've had for five, six years now is being kind of mean to me, we want to make sure we recognize that that doesn't feel good. We realize that's not a good feeling, that he treats you differently than he treats other friends. He treats you maybe worse and you guys have known each other so long, and this doesn't feel good to him. And we also want to first stay with him and recognize that doesn't feel good, and we, I could see how that made you sad or upset, and then also explore with him, not just give him advice and say, do this or do that. Explore with him what he thinks he can do, either with this friend or what does he want to do tomorrow or if he's in that same situation again. But explore with him how he can try to make this situation better and try things. We definitely want to make sure we empathize with them about what they're going through. And maybe he is feeling down about these things. So when he comes home, he's more upset. Maybe that's something that's going on. Um, but we want to make sure we make him feel like it's, it makes sense that he's sad about this, that we care about him. And we know that this is a painful thing he's going through and we're there for him. Now, the saying, I don't like you and those kinds of things, as a parent, we have to be ready that kids are going to say these things. They're going to sometimes say that in... I don't like you is a nicer way of saying I hate you, which is something he might say as he gets older. But kids say these things to their parents. And as a parent, we have to recognize, okay, the kid is feeling some emotions. They're feeling like they want to challenge us. They want to battle with us. But we can't go to that level. You know, a lot of parents, the kid says, I hate you. And then they start to say, how can you hate me? I breastfed you for 13 months and I've taken care of you my whole life. You know, kind of in this way of like, you have no right to say you hate me. We have to recognize that that is just a feeling of anger, even sometimes of rebellion or of acting back at us in some way. And we have to be able to absorb that and not respond in like or get angry. And what, what should I do, Dr. Farid, when he says something like that? And I just like, what, what should I react well, first of all, I mean, it depends on the situation. So I don't know what exactly is going on, but you can acknowledge that he's angry. Say, I, I know you're angry with me right now because you want me to say you're allowed to do this. But, you know, I don't think it's right for you to do this right now. So I'm saying, no, I understand you don't like that. So you can always understand his emotion, even if you don't agree with what he's saying. So, you know, he says, Mom, it's 10 p.m. I want to go play with my friend. And you can say, no, it's too late. You know, I can't let you go. I know you want to play. You have fun with your friend. But at 10 p.m., it's too late for me to let you go out. So I have to say I no. Wanna, I just want to let you know something that I uh, really talk to him. Usually, uh, he started with my husband, and I started to sit down and talk to him all the time, have conversation with uh -huh. him during the dinner, uh, because at lunch he's at school. Uh, but uh, we sit down and talk to him most of the time about everything, anything. He, can, he talks with us, and then we talk to him. Yesterday, his um, dad wasn't home. And I was with him, and I uh, sat down, and he's supposed to came home, supposed to eat something and do his homework, and then I, took him, I told him, if you do your homework and finish it, everything, reading, homework, everything, and then I can take you to uh, um, Apple Store. He loves Apple Store. Look at the phones if you want. I can take you to dinner. We can go together. And then he said, okay, Mom, and then he couldn't finish it. He didn't finish it, reading. And I was like, I was very calm, and I was like, oh, okay. And he said, Mom, it's like 20 minutes to 8. Can we go to uh, biking? You can walk the dog, and I can bike. And I was like, oh, well, it's kind of dark. 
going out, but and are you done with your reading? And he, he said, um, no. And then I didn't make a big deal. And I, I was like ma- made dinner at home and then he ate. And I talked to him. I said, uh, you know what? Uh, f- from now on, I'm going to tell you all, everything only once because you are uh, 11 years old and you know uh, enough what to do. I, I don't need to tell you all the time, do this. Oh, did you brush? Did you go to read? Did you go to sleep? Do this. And I said, uh, you know that from now on, you just come home, you can uh, eat something and play a little bit and then start your homework and then uh, finish your reading and after you're, you're done with everything, you can go out play with your friends outside. And you know what time you should go to bed and okay. in the morning what time yeah. you should get up. Just we have a few minutes, so I, I get I get your point. So what's the question there? My question is, is it a good thing that I did? Well, I mean, I don't know if I would emphasize, like it kind of comes off harsh, like I'm going to tell you things just one time. But I, you have to also realize what you are contributing to this. Because what you said with the, the iPad was, I'll set a limit for him, but then it won't actually be a limit. You are also not telling him things once. You're telling him something once, but you're saying something different the second time. So you're teaching him that you should ask more than one time because you might get another answer the second time. So you have to be aware that you're contributing to him asking and asking and asking because you've shown them that if you push a limit, I might give in. So that part is also on you, not on him that he has to get it the first time. Like I said it once and I shouldn't have to say it twice. That comes off harsh, but realize... If you tell him 30 minutes of iPad and then he gets two hours of iPad, then you can't blame him for when you say stop at 30 minutes for asking you again because you haven't been firm. So you have to realize how you haven't imposed the rules and the boundaries and how that's going to lead to him asking you again and again because it's not clear if what you say is what you mean. So I wouldn't put that just on him that he shouldn't ask you again. You have to put that also on yourself that I have to be more clear and be more firm so that he realizes what I say this is what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. Does that make sense? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's coming from your side. He's going to, you know, look, as he gets older, too, he's going to keep trying to push the boundaries. That's part of what especially teenagers are going to do. So you have that's to be ready right. for that. You have to just make sure from your side you stay firm. And even you told me he said, I don't like you, and you emphasize that. There could be a part of you that doesn't like when you think he doesn't like you, so you're more likely to give in. You say, you know what, let me just let him do it because you don't want him to not like you in that moment. But you have to be willing as a parent to sometimes have your kids not like you in the moment. And you understand. You want to go out right now and I'm letting you know I don't think it's okay. They're not going to like that. So in that moment, he says, I don't like you. And you say, I understand you don't like me, but this is what I think is best right now. So I'm still going to make this decision. So you have to be willing to tolerate that. And that's something that's going to probably get harder and harder for you because he's going to push even harder as he gets older. He's going to be more emotionally reactive as a teenager. And you have to be willing to take that. And so I would focus on you and how well you can handle him not liking you in the moment, but still making the right decisions for him. That's right. Um, just wanna, if, if I have time... We're, we're basically out of time. If you want to make a quick comment, but I do have sure. to go. Just want to make sure that when, 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 he, when I tell him, like 30-minute iPad, if he goes, I mean, if he goes beyond that, what should I tell him? Well, well, see, this I... is the problem. When you make it a war... It's, he's going to fight back. You have to make him agree to the rule. If he doesn't agree to the rule, you're always going to have war. He's going to push, push that's, and push and push. That's what it is. Yeah, but he has to agree to the rule. Did he agree to 30 minutes a day? Uh, he said yes. Okay, so then you have to enforce it. You can give him warnings, five more minutes left. 
whatever it is, but you have to get that. And you have to change. And it's going to be hard to change this dynamic. If you say 30 minutes, but it constantly becomes more, it's going to be hard to enforce that. So you're going to have to take time to change that. I do have to stop. If you want to call back in another time, we can talk some more. Thank you for your right. time. Thank you. Nice it. talking to you. Take care. You too. Thank you. Bye. All right. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. Have a wonderful day.